Dr M.T. Sinyika is a New Orleanian community leader and former professor at Dillard University and TSU. Founder of the Black Unitarian Universalist Caucus and Black Affairs Council, he is also former project manager for the African American Leadership Project. Ed Blakely is a former Washington insider, an internationally recognized leader in urban development and planning, advisor and author. For more in this series, search for Pacific Conversations wherever you find good podcasts and check out the website edtalks.com.au. M.T. Sangika. It's been what? Five, seven, eight? No, I left New Orleans in 2019, so that's 11 years. 12 years. No, you, know, you didn't leave in 2019, did you? That's just a couple of years. I mean, 2009. Ah, 2009. Ah, yes, 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 yes. That's 12, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. And they just had a, 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 a mini-Katrina a mini this time, Ida. Ida, yes. Mm-hmm. And the work we did when we were there saved the city. So thank you for all your input in that and helping us get Gentili and all those places back up. Uh, well, we want to thank work. you also. Thank you also for being available to us at a time when we critically needed the expertise that you brought to the table. So we appreciate that very much. So now we have another danger, not a hurricane, but we have a human rights danger. And that human rights danger in Texas, the great state of Texas, is about voting, voting suppression about minority rights, privileges, like what in the world, MT, is going on in Texas and why? Well, thanks for asking that question and that conversation is one that uh, I think it's worth uh, people who are not here in the United States understanding uh, the dynamic of what we're witnessing here. First, let me just say that in the a large context of the United States itself, um, there is a demographic shift that is occurring uh, in the United States with projections that suggest that um, in the not too distant future, uh, the United States will be a predominantly um, minority majority country. That is to say that African descended people, Hispanic, Latino, uh, Latinx, uh, disfriended people, uh, Asians, uh, Native Americans, people of color uh, will be the predominant population. And those persons of European descent who have historically been the predominant uh, majority in the country will no longer be that majority anymore. And that, that is sparking uh, an enormous sense of dis-ease and uh, discomfort for that majority population. Why? Because it, 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 its own internal perception is that its, its day in history uh, is up. Its time has uh, is, 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 uh, passed its ability to uh, internally manage itself and its ability to, uh, to have the hegemony and control, if you would, that it has exercised over the entirety of this country's history since its founding as a, a white racist country to this day, which many believe it still is uh, the case. But the internal perception uh, that is both spoken and unspoken uh, would suggest that there is a, 
an emerging understanding on the part of the uh, slowly um, shifting majority population that things are changing and that a new order is emerging in the society. And, that, and it is that new order that is causing deep uh, reactions at many, many different levels, not just in the, uh, the voting arena, but we're seeing this uh, in education and the, the arguments over critical race theory, for instance. Uh, we're seeing it um, in some aspects of the, the, the cultural and creative production uh, apparatus in the country. Uh, we, we see it uh, in, in many of the media sources and even inside of social media, all these rather uh, far right wing um, media sources that are now emerging inside of the internet that are causing all these disturbances and, and the ways that people are using the internet uh, you know, in this country. It's, it's almost at a point that you could begin to argue that the American empire has reached uh, its terminus. Mm. And it may have reached uh, the point where it is no longer the exceptional country that it used to be and that it's old white majority and hegemony of white males that have, had previously ruled and dominated the entirety of the country um, has, has taken the country about as far as the country can go. And so it reluctantly uh, understands that there will be this demographic shift, but it's trying to hold on to whatever power it can hold on to whatever the change in the demography happens to be. So that's, I think, a framework for what is happening in the entirety of the United States. Um, and it's, it's not just uh, occurring in one place, uh, it, but it is especially happening uh, with a, a level of vehemence and intensity and deep passion wherever you have uh, significant uh, numbers of black and brown, especially black and brown people who make up uh, the population of the state and who it appears as though uh, will, will relative, in a relatively short period uh, take control of the politics of the state. Now that doesn't translate as control of the economics yet, yeah, but it certainly, yeah. it certainly does the politics and the culture, which become a part of the, uh, the dominant face uh, of that of that particular state. So you see this in California already, you know California very well. You see this, I think, in New York. You're seeing this uh, in a lot of uh, Arizona. Uh, you certainly see it in Florida. And of course, you see it here uh, in Tejas, in Texas. Uh, Texas is a, is a state that has uh, traditionally been ruby red, and it has been very heavily Anglo for a very long period of time. But Texas is now what California used to be in this country. It yeah, when place. we were in California, Republicans were in the Senate. There's a guy named Nixon. Yes, <laughs> you remember that name. A guy yes. named Reagan. They were yes. Republicans and yes. elected by the majority. Yes, and that, that was the majority of California at that time. And today, um, Texas has become the the place if you if you're looking for for employment, Texas is a job a net, a net job creating state. Mm -hmm. uh, it has an exceptionally well developed private sector here that uh, uh, is not lacking in capital and technical resources at all. So the so the state is constantly growing. 
you you see it any 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 city that you go to, whether it's Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, uh, El Paso, you know, any one of the large cities you go to in Texas, you will see just expansion. The, the, there's no end to growth that happens in Texas, and in many places you don't have a zoning. Uh, but you have significant large numbers of populations moving into Texas to occupy this new job market that is here with this technological systems that are here. And it, of course, you know, this is the, the oil energy capital, uh, you know, some say of the world, of the globe. But there's no shortage of capital here. But you're also the missile producing capital of the world. The flight center for the missiles is in Houston, is it not? Yeah, we have the Johnson Space Center is here in NASA. Yes, yes, yes. It is very much here and it uh, collaborates with, with Cape Canaveral and Florida. Uh, internet firms, uh, I'm not internet firms, but uh, computer firms are in Austin and yes. Dallas. That's, that's right. Texas Instruments came out of that region years ago, years and years and years and years ago. Um, and so we have here this combination of, of technology, uh, of, of capital, of technology. Uh, the educational apparatus is very well developed and very sophisticated here. Uh, it, is, it is constantly growing. There's no shortage of land here. And people are moving here to take advantage of the new opportunities that are here. That's part of what I meant by Texas has become the new California. California used to be where people were moving, but the real estate costs, as you very well know, are so high in, in California. In, in Texas, the real estate costs are just dirt cheap. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, you can buy a mansion here, three, four $400,000 just about, that you could never buy in California. California, it would cost you a million dollars. And so this, this, uh, this availability of modestly priced real estate has become very attractive, especially to uh, startup families, uh, families that are in the middle somewhere uh, in their career development. And uh, th that, that combination is attracting large numbers of persons, but they're mostly people whose politics uh, are not red. They're rather purple, many of them blue. So it's purple to blue. Well, so that you're telling moving me to. that educated people are a menace to the Republican Party. That's exactly who's moving So they can be Texas. white as well as brown. That's the other problem Latino. they have. That's the other problem they're having in Texas is that the whites who are moving into Texas are purple or they're blue, they're not red. The red populations occupy the smaller parts of Texas, the little small counties and small cities and towns which are just ubiquitous all, all over this state. But the large centers of intellectual life, of civic life, um, uh, of technical life, of capital life, are, it's, are the cities that keep Texas growing. And so the people who are moving here are, are attracted to its cities. And you can build a new city in Texas in a minute. You don't have regulatory problems and there's no shortage of land. And so there are all these subdivisions constantly building, being built and all these transportation arteries all over the place. It's just, it's just uh, it's something well, to just- Tell me about that. your cities. Are they heavily segregated? They are, they, well, they're two, they're, 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 they're both dynamics exist. One dynamic is that they are the traditional places that African-Americans migrated to during the oil, oil boom of the uh, early 20th century. For instance, my family moved from New, from New Orleans and Louisiana and came into the Houston area. And so they are, they're located the same way as though they were migrating north 
into so-called ghettos. But here, they, uh, they were not always limited in the same way that you find it to be the case in the North because, because, uh, because cities were constantly expanding. They were not limiting themselves to traditional boundaries. They were constantly expanding. And so what began to happen is that suburbanization didn't take very long to begin to set in here. And, and while suburbanization was setting in, if you had the money, you could move into an, an emerging development. And so when you go to these new suburban areas, you see lots of black and brown faces, but you also have traditional neighborhoods that people first came to at the beginning of the 20th century, if not earlier than that. But so there has not been the same uh, covenant restrictions, for instance, deed restrictions that you find in other places. Now, are there places that are still predominantly white? Yes, but the suburban area of these metropoles, if you would, uh, are very comfortable and convenient with people of, uh, people of color, to use the broader term, with people of color among their midst. You don't have the same so problem. money's the thing. If you got the money, you can be there. If you got the money and the capacity to function in the culture, yeah. If you can tolerate what Texas is, if you can manage uh, the transportation system, if you can adjust to this psychology of everything is big in Texas um, and they must always win in whatever they do. I mean, if you can put up with some of the vagaries of Texas, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an all, it's an all right place to be if you're at that particular point. And if you're in, if you're in your, the early stages of your profession, uh, there are just enormous opportunities here. All uh, right, when so, so now I have a, a sense of the demographics and the like. Uh, which, by the way, is happening in a lot of places around the world, uh, upsetting people. As you know, Europe's uh, traditional population falling like a rock. Uh, places mm -hmm. like Italy, the birth rate is negative in the white population. Germany's the same. Russia's the same. England is the same. And the immigrant population, you get a Brexit. Mm -hmm. uh, you get uh, places like Hungary, where if you're wrong color, you can't enter. So, so this is, I think there's a global problem here uh, that's been localized in the extreme in Texas. Uh, how is it then with this new population that you have a Republican vote uh, in almost every election uh, that wins. Uh, Trump won by what, 20% or so in Texas? Uh, yeah, 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 in the presidential. But the last gubernatorial election was was within a couple of, the senatorial election was uh, the Ted Cruz election with Beto O'Rourke. It was just a couple of points. Uh, you know, to that that's a reflection of this new demography. And of course, Beto is, uh, I think he's about to run for for governor this time, and I, we expect this to be a real tight race. Uh, I think Trumpism uh, indeed did prevail, but the the purple and blue areas of the uh, of the state did exceptionally well uh, in terms of local elections. We were very very proud of the the local power that that grew and was retained, which was another indicator to us that uh, the, the, it wasn't, wouldn't be too long before the state of Texas turns. 
And um, I don't think it's I don't think I don't think it's going to be twenty years before the uh, the politics shifts in the other direction. Because remember, this state was once a democratic state during the Lyndon Johnson era uh, of civil rights. And of course, once civil, the civil rights legislation passed, Texas went red the way the rest of the South did. But I think- I, we Let me for, remind my listeners that Lyndon Johnson was from the South, but led the civil rights movement in the Congress uh, when he was the president and got the first Voting Rights Act in, uh, yes. the um, Desegregation Act in 1964, yeah, led yes, by yeah. Lyndon Johnson, a man from the South. Yes, absolutely. And it's important to know that he was a consummate politician. He understood, he understood power extremely well, and he knew how to use it. And nobody would uh, was willing to cross him when, <laughs> when he made his political But he was decisions. prescient. He saw what is here coming. I think he had the good sense to see it and left a, left a legacy. Uh, again, the, the, the peculiarity about, about living in Texas is that uh, when you're living in a place like Austin, for instance, which is the state capital, Austin is very much like Berkeley. It is a very progressive city with progressive people, doesn't have the same intense uh, racial animosities that you may find in other large scale cities. I mean, they still have some problems, but it's not the kind of intense uh, racial, deep racial polarization, for instance, that you might find in, in a Chicago or parts of New York or you know, those, those cities. Uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot softer and smoother, if I could um, use that analog here. It, it's, 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 it's one that almost says, we about something different and we're going to let you live if you let us live and do what it is that we also want to do. That's the attitude that I, that I feel when I go to Austin and just in terms of the way it makes me feel. Um, and when I'm in Houston, I feel extremely comfortable here. I don't feel a sense of racial, racial animosity. Well, Dallas is the same, isn't it? Dallas is very much similar to this. Sure, it is. San Antonio, very much like that. El Paso is like that. So it's like two different universes in the state of Texas. Now, there are some parts of Texas when you start going to those little small towns. And I'm careful about how long I want to be there mm -hmm. because that's really ruby red. And that's where Trumpism, you know, is very strong and very, uh, very intensely present and felt. Right. And this is, which is not to say that we don't have, you know, Trumpism in other parts of Texas, but it's modulated and it's contained in such a way that that the the, the blue and purple populations are very clear about what they are going to tolerate and not tolerate. But at right, the so level of the, the politics situation uh, here from Australia, I saw members of your legislature go to Washington preventing a vote on what seemed to be the most outrageous laws in the world regarding voting. Only having one voting booth that you drive through in a, an entire county, uh, a mm -hmm. whole bunch of things about signatures and this and that. Why would even white people put up with this? Fear. But they, if you can't vote, except for one place, they got to get there too. 
Well, you have to remember the way the districts in the state are gerrymandered right now. They are gerrymandered to always ensure Republican domination and control of the, uh, the presence in Washington, D.C., both at the level of the, the uh, House of Representatives and certainly at the level of the Senate. Um, and that's intentional. Now, of course, we're in that battle right now. And part of what the um, For the People Act does is to prevent that kind of partisan gerrymandering in the future. That's part of why, of course, the other side doesn't want it, because it's, it's going to prevent that kind of partisan gerrymandering. But everybody knows that that is the pattern in the U.S. right now, is that the Republicans maintain control even when they're not the majority, because they've gerrymandered all the districts. And in Texas, that's exactly what happened, because right now, there's a fear that we may not even have an African-American or Latino, predominantly African-American or Latino uh, district at all with this, this first set of maps that have come out. Now, part of what is going on is the, the pushback, if you would, it's the, it's the racist pushback, just like the critical race theory debate that is happening within certain cities, um, especially as it relates to their school districts and what they think should and should not be taught. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a right wing reaction that is saying, look, enough is enough. Uh, we have seen what it is that these people of color are doing and have done, and we've got to stop them somewhere. And they tried it through Trumpism, overt Trumpism, which uh, partially succeeded in some ways. But at the deeper level of society, they realize that it is impossible for this wave to be stopped unless you just completely move to the far right and start doing things that but the that far right does. Yeah, it can't it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable, but it satisfies the immediate urge to do something to stop the wave. And that's what I think you're seeing here. And the legislature itself and the governor, they all know that this is, is unsustainable because if the federal legislation passes, if the For the People Act, uh, HR, uh, no, John Lewis's bill is HR4, but the For the People Act, if that passes, all this is moot, Ed, it's, it's over. Uh, because well, there will some be of the things that they're putting in the Texas legislation. I know one was the drive-through uh, voting. Yeah, drive-through to and one place, and right. Houston is the size of uh, New York City. <laughs> so right, one right. voting booth would never do it uh, for drive-through. Right, um, right, right. Exactly. What are some of the other things? Well, they had they restricted uh, overnight uh, um, overnight early voting, overnight early voting, uh, mail-in voting restrictions were, were cast. I mean, not cast, but passed, put into the law. They also put into the law um, restrictions on the uh, the poll workers. I mean, they made it felonious for the poll workers to even move around and have conversations with voters because they suspected that, you know, the poll workers were trying to help show people how to vote. So they, they added something to, uh, to make that. Is that a, what a, a poll worker is supposed to do? Well, there's a, there are laws that say, um, as I understood them here, you know, that you have to maintain a certain distance and there's certain kind of conversations you're not to, not to have with voters. Yeah, you can't have they, the allegation. The alle the allegation is the opposite. The allegation is that the poll workers were helping voters to vote for the Democrats. That's the that's the allegation. There's by the way, there is no 
evidentiary grounds for Senate Bill 1 and House Bill 30, which are the bills, the labels for the bill. There's no evidentiary grounds, repeat, no evidentiary grounds of, of this massive voter fraud that they are alleging as the reason to have passed those bills in the first place. There's no data that would uh, validate their, their assumptions about voter fraud. It doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist in any state where that is being alleged, whether it's Texas or Florida or Arizona. But again, what they specifically were doing was attacking Harris County by restricting uh, the drive-through voting and restricting the number of voting locations in the county because they, they then restricted the ability of the county itself to, uh, uh, to exercise options in the implementation of their election laws. So there's, there's that language that gives the state the ability to say no whenever the county wants to do certain things about its, about its election laws. And that was specifically to attack Harris County. And that was to attack, which is the largest uh, county in the state. And is, is uh, perhaps the bluest county in the state where this new majority, which, which we're talking about, uh, is evident across the board. So it was targeted specifically to slow down the political shift and change that is occurring but I don't think it's going to be successful because uh, for several reasons, one of, one of which is I think we're going to have a change at some point in the state legislature. But if we pass the federal legislation, that too will, will I think, uh, reverse well, the direction. Wasn't there some solution you couldn't give people water while they were waiting in line? You can't give out water. I'm sorry, say that again. You cannot give out water while people are waiting to vote? Oh, that was Georgia. Oh, that was Georgia. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Georgia. <laughs> that wasn't Texas. In Texas, they would say, give them some tequila. <laughs> <laughs> they, can, they can have the tequila, you know. But uh, but the major the major the major provision, uh, you know, of the bill that was passed was to to uh, to make it difficult to do early voting and to make, make it difficult to do drive through voting and to restrict the number of, uh, of, of locations uh, for polling purposes itself. Those were the three specific ways that were designed to discourage people of color for voting by increasing the waiting lines and by making it very difficult um, and making it you know, not impossible because uh, we were successful in organizing our people to, uh, of course, these new laws have not been put in effect yet, but there was this, this restriction on the number of polling places in Harris County. It didn't work because people put up, people were determined that they were going to come out and they were going to vote in this federal election. And there was nothing that was going to stop them because well, they I, understood. I, one of the things I've been saying on my show is you couldn't have a better uh, piece of legislation to get people out to vote. If you tell me I can't vote, I'm going to find a way to vote. Especially Before if it's I was part of your cultural history. Not, not indifferent now. And uh, I think Georgia is a primary example. All the suppression they did last time ended up with more people voting than ever. Yes, yes. They got the opposite effect. Yeah. Wouldn't have the opposite and, effect in Texas? Well, I think we're going to see. Uh, of course, this is intended for the midterms. This piece of legislation that was just passed was in intended to, uh, uh, to facilitate uh, Republican control of, of the midterms themselves and the success in the midterms. So some of it we don't, don't, don't know, 
but the battle is not yet over. Uh, we have, I think, just begun the fight. And um, I don't think that, sec first of all, and then the other part of that was, was making it difficult for, for registration to take place in addition to uh, the mailing, the, the actual mail-in voting and early voting. Uh, voter ID laws was another part of what Texas as well as some other states have done to make it very, very difficult to, to register on the one hand and then to actually vote on election day on the, on the other hand. Um, if you don't have uh, a state issued ID or some other kind of ID, picture ID that they've made it very difficult as opposed to making it easier. But you know, AVR, automatic voting registration is in the For the People Act. And so again, so at the you federal get your driver's level, license, you get to vote. Yeah, or anything, any, anytime you have any kind of document that is issued, social security, voter Whatever. registration document, driver's license, any and all of that, that would be sufficient and you automatically uh, are registered to vote. All right. So that's so, the other provision. So um, you mentioned earlier, there's a, an election, I guess it's coming up same time as the uh, midterms and that's the governor's election. Is that the same time? Yes, yes, that's about the same time. So mm -hmm. Bay O'Rourke, uh, who's a hero on my show, uh, is possibly running. Uh, how's he going to run this campaign? Is he going to run kind of a, a junior for the People Act uh, to get out the vote? How's he going to run this? I would, I would imagine that his emphasis is certainly going to be, number one, on increasing uh, the available voter pool, which is, of course, the registration side um, of the equation. And then secondly, he'll, he'll have a very strong ground game to, uh, for all the GOTV that will need to be done to ensure to make, uh, to make sure that we can get the vote out, uh, despite whatever the constraints and restrictions are, just as we prove we're capable of doing it. And he's a, he's a pretty good organizer, by the way. He's a very good motivator, and he's got some good sound administrative skills. He, I think he understands um, the, the process of linking the, the, message, uh, the, the message of politics uh, with the mechanics of politics, mm -hmm. that he's, he's very good at that. And he's got uh, the coalition is absolutely and totally with him. We've got a strong movement here called the Moral Monday movement, mm. which, is is, which is similar to uh, the movement that um, uh, the brother who comes out of North Carolina, who just did the Poor People's Campaign. And right now I'm having a senior moment, I see his face. But uh, there's a strong Moral Monday movement that has been happening here in Texas that has been fueled by nonprofits, activists, organizers, and faith-based institutions that is absolutely um, um, part of the infrastructure for the ground game and is very supportive of moving the direction that Beto is talking about moving. So I think he starts with enormous advantages. He's got the name recognition, he's got the ground game, uh, he's got the message, uh, he's got the ability to raise the funds and he'll have the entire apparatus uh, of the Democratic Party supporting him. I haven't heard uh, any uh, negative things said about him that would suggest to someone that he is not the candidate who would be preferred to take on uh, this incumbent. And especially 
people will re remember SB1 and H, uh, HB30. People will remember that this, this incumbent governor uh, uh, was the one who engineered this very uh, constraining voter suppression legislation in Texas. People will not forget that the very next time that they, they have the ability to vote, nor will they forget um, the, uh, the, the freeze that we had and the power shortage. Um, many yes. people put that at the feet of this incumbent governor uh, because he didn't, he didn't do what should have been done to manage the uh, utility that was responsible for this. He, he didn't, he didn't do it. And the, they, those were all his friends and his colleagues and, and, and they were all making money. Mm. And that's not going to be forgotten by a lot of people because that burned a lot of people in the state, not just you know low and moderate income families, but it, you know just middle class people and even people with with more resources. It was an equal employer. No, it wasn't equal. I take that back because the way they did the rollout, the blackouts, they never explained to the public how they decided to blackout which and what was the sequencing for. Because this was calculated. This wasn't just what happened with Ida where the whole city blank, blanked out because the utility. I wish you would have been there to, to tell energy what they should have done right. And I would have loved to have heard that one. But this one was not just random. This was calculated. This was systematic. This was organized and intentional. So people haven't forgotten that. So I think there's a good chance here that uh, with these 18 states that have also passed voter suppression uh, laws, uh, and by the way, there are other states, uh, I think there are 25 or so states that have passed bills making it uh, easier for people to vote. I mean, some of the, the, the relevant states in the uh, electoral majority, uh, the Californias and the New York. Washington, uh, Oregon. Right. And Northeastern Michigan, states. Ohio. Right, in the Northeastern states, exactly. And that's another reason for us to uh, to, to have a positive uh, belief that, um, uh, that, that the other side is not going to prevail, that, that the states that are passing these, these voter suppression bills right now are the ones that are in red hands. But we don't, we, yeah, but we don't see that as a permanent state of the politics because the demographics are changing almost everywhere. Even in the, in the red states, the demographics are changing. So, uh, so I think we we have we have cause to be optimistic, cautiously optimistic. However, not just optimistic, but cautiously optimistic that um, if we play the game right and we organize systematically and scientifically, we will be able to negate this thrust. But we can't be so naive as to to think that because we wish it so, it shall be so. Well, thank you, MT. That's a good way to end it. I think um, <laughs> we can't wish it so. Uh, hopefully, people will hear this and they'll help make it so. And it's good to see you. And we'll be partners again in that good adventure. I see Martin Luther King right beside you <laughs> over your left shoulder. Oh, so yes, yes. We're yes. still on that trajectory. Yep, yep. And it's good to see you. And it's good to, good to hear some of the things you're doing. Uh, one of these days, that's a place I would like to be. One of my colleagues was Dr. Runoko, Runoko Rashidi, uh -huh. who, was, who was an expert on African descended people in the South Pacific. That was his area of expertise. And uh, I first encountered him way back in the California days. He just recently 
transitioned. He died on a, a trip to Egypt. But um, uh, and I knew Australians in the 1970 Congress of African People. There was a delegation from Australia uh, that came to uh, to that event, and that was something that. Well, the fight's uh, still on here, man. Yeah, I believe you. One of these days, I'm hoping I'll get a chance to come and see that for myself. Well, one thing you won't have to do is practice for the fight because you've been in it and it's the same (laughs) fight. And you're in great shape. Good to see you, MT. Good to see you too. And thank you for this opportunity. And a photo. We'll do that. Okay. Thank you too, Ed. And peace and blessings to you and your family. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Make sure to subscribe to Pacific Conversations wherever you find the podcast. Maybe drop us a review if you're feeling generous. And for weekly U.S. news and current affairs, check out Ed and I's other podcast, U.S. of Ed, also on Facebook and Twitter.